Welcome to Cut the Bull, an insightful podcast which addresses the news of the day and the cultural issues plaguing our society, bringing logic and context to these topics and discussing solutions too real for mainstream pundits. Now, here are your hosts, Charles Love and Wilfred Riley. Hello and welcome to Cut the Bull. I am Charles Love, alongside my co-host, Wilfred Riley, and our guest this week, uh, Inez Stepman. She's a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum and host of the uh, High Noon podcast there. And Adam James Levin Aredi. He is the senior producer at The Dispatch and the host of co-host of Uncertain Things podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I uh, wanted to have some people who have thoughts, lots of people who have thoughts, but to talk about the issue with what has been going on since the attack, the attack and what's been going on since the attack of, what is it, last Saturday, October 7th, uh, the Hamas attack on Israel. And it's had some long, some surprising, some not so surprising reactions across the world. And we can get into the uh, complicated relationship there. And I think we should talk about that briefly. But at first, I want to start with the attack itself. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, I think was, as I was saying when we started, um, the attacks, as horrific as they were, should have been a story in itself. But what has, for me, grown to become almost the bigger story is the reaction that we've seen around the world, and particularly because we live here, uh, and we're all, unlike Will, in New York. So what we see right outside our front door as a reaction. So talk a bit about how that's been to uh, deal with and what you think about that reaction. Um, Inez, you can go first. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously it was horrific to watch, um, it, especially, I, I think especially for people who are uh, a little bit younger, millennials, Gen Z, um, especially Jewish Americans in those uh, like age bands, the precarity of Israel's existence has always been kind of a matter of historical record, right? Kind of a matter of, of a default of history. Um, and I think this is a, a good reminder that it's not, right? That is only a matter of the last couple decades, maybe three decades, right? Um, four decades. But before that, the the precarity and the sort of existential uh, nature of, of Israeli existence um, is now up for for in the air not completely i mean obviously israel is, is, is a powerful and rich country uh can defend itself um but i don't think we've seen this kind of existential threat to israel while most of us uh in those generations were alive right 73 would really be the last time that that something like this took place and i, I think some of the reaction that you're seeing at home um and in in america from jews is a realization of that from the younger generations mm -hmm. uh who just always had in the back of their mind that Israel will, will be fine because it's, it's a powerful and rich country and the, you know, first world military. And uh, this is a, a good reminder that, you know, there are nine, what, nine point something million people in Israel and mm -hmm. they're surrounded by nearly half a billion uh, people in the countries around them that hate them and don't want them to exist. Uh, that's, you know, that's inherently a precarious position in terms of the, the domestic uh, response. I mean, to me, and I and, and I can kick this off by being provocative. It's clear that the a large portion of the Arab street is now in Paris and Berlin. Um, we used to talk about back in the the you know ten years ago when we we're talking about Gaza again, right? Um, we we're talking about the reaction of the Arab street 
well, that that reaction is now very firmly moved, uh, not only in the, the streets of Muslim countries, but uh, in the streets of European capitals. Uh, America, to a lesser extent, I think, but still we're seeing this. And I, and I would I'll, I'll wrap it here just because I'm going on. But um, I think there there is a very interesting marriage between certain elements of the left wing domestically here and this explicitly not just pro-Palestinian, but pro-Hamas uh, you know, rhetoric and and demonstrations. Um, and there, there's a, an interesting alliance between sort of native-born leftists and recent immigrants. Hmm. And Adam, anything you want to add? Well, I, I, I should say, to clarify first, I'm Israeli. So right. it's a disclaimer. And part of the <laughs> disclaimer is that I, I did not really catch any sleep since the massacre. And I've been running almost exclusively on rage fumes and alcohol. And since it's too early for alcohol, I apologize if the result is that I will fail to complete a full coherent thought today. But to in regard thinking of the response of mm-hmm. the nations to the event, I don't think that anyone who's not Jewish or even who's not Israeli really understand the sort of psychic break that this moment has caused for so many people in the way we see ourselves in the world. And it's not like Israelis had ever any delusions about how the country is perceived by the enlightened West we always understand that there is a problem in being able to convey the asymmetrical strategic trap in which Israel finds itself fighting against terrorist organizations, given how powerful its military is, given how occasionally prosperous its economy is. And how that position, the position of being a successful minority, places Israel as a categorical villain in the perception of a lot of people. We always understood that, and we always kind of like learned to scoff at the absurdities of coverage and the absurdities of intellectual discourse around Israeli and regional geopolitics. I think what we all assumed tacitly is that should there be a second Holocaust, the world will, you know, that the world, the the left will pause and say, oh, we, we fucked this one up, didn't we? We got this all wrong. What we didn't expect was there for there to be such an explicit case of a intentional massacre of citizens at such a scale and for the reaction the immediate reaction a day after to be celebrations in the streets none of us even the most i think radicalized hawkish right-wingers in israel imagined that this reaction is plausible and seeing this has completely changed warped radicalized the 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 thinking of i think jews probably in general but certainly israelis or israeli connected um people individual thinkers and i still i can't tell you what the implications of this 
might be, but but I'm I'm feeling it emotionally. You can hear it in my voice, but I'm also reading it in the in the writings and the exchanges of some of the most measured dovish thinkers on the Israeli side. Mm-hmm. Something has changed, and it's a little scary, but. That this is the reality we are li- living in. It's the, the true scary thing was to discover just how dispensable Jewish lives are. Um, I got in this short amount of time at least five things I want to make sure we co- cover briefly. But Will, I want to uh, get your uh, thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, so my thought on the reaction actually was that it was uh, fairly unsurprising from the global (laughs) left and media, assuming that those are different things. And I hope it was eye opening to a lot of people. Um, I mean, so first of all, the incident itself, like I actually am a practicing political scientist. I mean, it's as clear a causeless belly for war as I've ever seen. I mean, it was the the attempts to deny what happened are just bizarre. I mean, they're if you're on Telegram or even Twitter, they're videos of, I mean, many of the things that happened. Uh, Hamas paratroopers essentially attacked a rave and killed 260 innocent people. I mean, the most five of them, I think, could potentially have been caught in a crossfire. They were just massacred. Many were raped. And this went on and on. I mean, uh, without bringing up every disturbing memory, I mean, a kibbutz was attacked. A hundred people were killed there. I believe the total death toll was 1,400 Israelis. And then the uh, 1,200 or so terrorists inside the state of Israel were also, of course, killed. I mean, there was a firefight that involved IDF uh, forces there. So, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the more notable uh, human rights atrocities, just objectively, that's that's occurred in in quite some time. I mean, the obvious parallels, 9-11 here in the States. But the reaction, um, like I said, I don't think it was all that surprising because my assumption is that what people say is generally a reflection of what they think. So, I mean, I I think that a lot of people, my hope would be that for a lot of moderate Jewish Americans and for a lot of other people, this opened some eyes, bluntly. Mm -hmm. I mean, people say this stuff all the time. Like, my goal is decolonization globally is a very common remark in academia. And people who make that point are quoting a Franz Fanon who said, you know, by any means necessary, we need to remove the white and the Jew and the non-native. These are all quotes. Also the Syrian, which refers to Lebanese Arabs, from all of our countries. These people need to be killed. They need to be gone. That's what people are talking about. So when, after the attack happened, people started saying things, Harvard University, tenured professors at Yale, like, well, we can't critique patterns of decolonial resistance. Excuse the language. This is what these motherfuckers think. Like, it's a coherent argument on the revolutionary left that people have been making for 40 years. And I think there's been a tendency to look at people sitting across from you in a Chicago or Brooklyn cocktail party and think, this person can't actually be a lunatic. They can't actually mean this. But just as people worldwide have supported fascist parties representing the worst of the right, no, these guys are they are being quite serious. And if you actually look at rhetoric from the academic left, um, I mean, Jews have obviously been a group targeted more than almost any other in recent as well as uh, longer term history. But very similar things are said about white Americans in general. 
Um, you know, I mean, very similar things are said about minority conservatives, very similar things are said about traditional or quote unquote gender critical women. The idea, if you're a revolutionary, if you're at all serious and in your own bizarre way honorable, is that you're going to have to fight or kill the people that are opposing the revolution. So because I always took this seriously, I mean... Mm -hmm. When this happened, I mean, the first reaction, other than my fiance gave some money to the IDF and we called some friends to see if they're OK. But other than that, the reaction was, well, we're going to see a lot of this. I mean, the the immediate kind of bodog betting markets prediction is what they're going to do is pretend to apologize for the attack or pretend to criticize the attack and then immediately begin criticizing the Israeli response. Right. And that that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing people like Rashida Tlaib, Mehdi Hassan, Ilhan Omar. I mean, some of these people are in Congress saying this is genocide. Sayura Rao, that's the term that's apparently gone out in the talking points memo. Whatever happened to Israel, we must now stop the Jews, often by that term, from committing genocide against Palestinian civilians. So, yeah, I mean, disgusting, but not entirely unsurprising. And hopefully people are now aware. No, no, they mean what they're saying. When they say from the sea, they mean kill the Jews. Like... But what would, what would have been your uh, my impression? My delusion was yeah. that it's very cheap to talk about decolonization without seeing the consequences of it, and that the consequences that seeing the bloodshed would shatter something in in the naivete of of, of easy really ivory tower cool. academic thinking. I, I think that's that was my shock. Yeah, I, really I was also unsurprised. I mean, I agree with Will. Like that, actually, the reaction on campuses and stuff didn't surprise me at all. Uh, what did surprise me actually was the opposite, that there was some substantial pushback from people who were previously in the center. I was I I that I didn't expect that. So I guess I was surprised in, in the opposite direction. And like, well, I hope some people, you know, have their eyes opened from this. Um, but, you know, I, look, people who there, there were a lot of people who were very comfortable um, some of them Jewish, some of them not, you know, but but uh, I think very comfortable with the oppression pyramid. And like Will said, uh, you know, speaking some frankly hateful rhetoric um, about, you know, white Americans, about the West broadly. Um, and they felt comfortable slotting themselves into the oppressed categories of that oppression pyramid. And in large part, I see some some of this, the reaction maybe is slapping them into thinking that like, no, actually, you're going to be in the oppressor category and all of that rhetoric that you thought was OK when directed, um, you know, is now directed at you in a very direct way. The rhetoric that you would have excused if it was about, you know, white colonialism um, is now directed at you in this very, very concrete way. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I, I really do hope that people's eyes are opened. And that's kind of what I was hinting at in my initial thing that this is not this is a, a marriage between this kind of you know, new left, 1968 onward left, um, and and this cause or Hamas or or uh, cheering this kind of slaughter, um, it seems like superficially it's easy to dunk on the you know the queers for Palestine guys, right? Whatever. Like you see this this sort of superficial contradiction, uh, but I actually think this is an instance where where I guess the the online term is woke more correct than the mainstream. I think they understand they have the same enemies. Um, and that list of enemies not only includes Israel, it includes Jews, but it also includes America, the West more broadly, specifically, you know, white, straight, blah, 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 people. Right. Um, and of course, these are not like uh, impermeable categories. And there are plenty of people who, who fall into one side or the other. And they have their own list of, you know, angry messages for those people who don't fall clearly into one of these categories. But 
Um, I think it's a, a, a simple, uh, simple matter of recognizing that you have common enemies and therefore that some superficial disagreement, um, if you one can call tossing gays off the off hmm. a building, superficial disagreement. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they're right to think that they they fundamentally have similar enemies uh, in mind. And and so therefore, it makes sense for them to be friends. Well, when you talked about this pyramid and, and, and um, Adam talked about Jews being seen and Israeli, uh, Israel specifically being seen as this successful minority kind of thing. And and a lot of people who are talking about this on a larger scale are saying part of this, the reason it's so celebrated on the college campuses is because there's an ideology that's been been brewing and it all ties together, like you're saying, and they've just been allowing it to fester. But you talk about, I agree with you. I said the same thing. Uh, uh, someone, I think Batia asked me, uh, were you surprised by this? I'll say I was more, in some ways, a little more than you and Will. I was surprised, not by what happened on college campuses. That was expected to me. I was I was kind of surprised a little bit by the number of people that joined them. But but really what surprised me more were the people who decided to speak up. And I, I didn't get a chance to speak to you, but I told um, Adam and some others, I had been joking about this uh, for a while, right, uh, you know, over these years. Like, you know, because Will and I talk a lot about this culture and wokeness. And now sometimes you you have to fight against it bluntly. And sometimes you have to play their, their language game because they're changing words. But then from the time Whoopi got in, in trouble about the Holocaust, I, I saw that and I'm like, no, I think I'm taking this seriously. And what I said to them was, it's time for Jews to stop saying they're white. Right. So if you think about it, uh, uh, as you know, all these academics, right. So let's say we're talking in the, in the woke vein, not about what happened recently. And they'll be talking about this race situation and this, that or the other. And they'll say, well, I can't really say that as a white person. I can't really say that. Right. So it's almost like, you know, that behind the scenes that this deep seated separation, this deep seated anti-Semitism, occasionally you talk about it, but you're allowing yourselves to be looked at as part of this, like you say, oppressor versus oppressed, you're allowing yourself to be seen as oppressor and kind of leaning into their argument, right? So I'm like, you should just stop saying that, you know, just this index, like, no, stop including me in this in this pyramid that you're trying to slot me into. And then at the same time, when it's, when it's comfortable for you to say that I am, you know, part of this, you know, this elite, obviously, from a number standpoint, it makes sense. Obviously, there's unique things. There's a, there's a hatred. There's an attack. There are things unique to Jews, and then they're not all white, right? So why allow yourself to be, you know, pigeonholed as oppressors? What do you say to that? Look, um, I mean, I think the entire construct is is ridiculous, and it shows. And actually, True. that I'm glad you brought up Whoopi's comments because I I you know actually to some extent defended her in the sense that I thought they were just stupid Whoopi. and not not anti-Semitic, <laughs> it shows the the inapplicability um, of this, this sort of racialist, Amer but very American context right, thinking where they're like two primary, which is not even true in America, but you definitely see in sort of some of the, the you know, um, the critical theories and all of that stuff, this like basically dividing people up into black and white, right? right. And these are the two major like fault, this is the fault line in America, racial fault line in America. Um, and and it's 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 just stupid. It's stupid to apply it on the in the world. I, I remember like initially when people were trying to think of if Putin is going to invade or not, and he was amassing troops on the border with Ukraine and so on. Um, it, it, they were trying like people were trying to find like a way to slot this into this racial mess and making yeah. absolute fools of themselves oh, yeah. Didn't in the Nicole process. Had a girl right? Say something to, about about they were only letting the white people into Poland and other countries and not letting the black people in. 
Yeah, like that was the one that was the story. And, and of course, it was the, the actually, by the way, that story was kind of funny. It, it, they were students studying actually uh, from um, countries, other countries, I think, actually, Western countries. But uh, mm-hmm. there were black students studying and, and they were trying to cross the border. But it, nobody had any documentation. Right. Mm-hmm. Ukraine is an overwhelmingly white country. So like they have people, they, they question people a little more. Right. Um, these these sort of foreign students. Anyway, right. uh, it, it doesn't matter. But the point is, like, that I see this more as stupidity and it shows how when you, you actually go back, for example, with what Whoopi said about the Holocaust, that the completely stupid way of framing it. Oh, it's not racial because in her mind, there's no oh, ethnic yeah. distinctions between white people. Right. Like that. They can't be it can't be racial. They were really it's specific not black about versus who they white. Were, yeah. They were including in this in this uh, in the murder during the Holocaust. Right. They found a way to find out who they were trying to kill. Yeah, it, it's just it, it's a construct that doesn't make any sense, except right. that um, it's it's fundamentally, you know, to me that the, the character, the key characterization and why this alliance makes sense is because it is hatred of of your own. It's hatred of America. Um, and and hatred of successful groups in America um, and hatred of the West writ large, which Israel is part of the West, even if it's not European. Right. Um, and and even deeper than that, I mean, it's sort of this Rousseauian hatred of civilization as though like, uh, you know, civilization itself is is what has made us vicious towards each other and made us hate each other. And what this attack showed, I think, so obviously clearly is no, like this is the state of man. It's tribal and hateful and bloody. And actually we have to learn and inculcate and and preciously cultivate civilization because that's what's difficult is for us to actually live together in, in prosperity and peace. Like that's a fragile thing. The state of man is what we saw, right? And right. Uh, and that's why I think, um, Will, I think we, we uh, went back and forth a little bit about this on Twitter, but I actually, my initial thought was this is what it must have looked like being you know, um, and the American frontier and being raided by the Comanche. Right? <laughs> right, right. And, and of course, everybody took that as like, oh, you know, who was here first colonialism, all, the whole construct. And that's not my point at all. Um, it's simply like these two different levels of, of civilization in terms of how they conduct warfare. And, and the West has a problem. And, and, and it, I don't know that it's a solvable one. Um, and it's much more immediate in the case of Israel than it isn't for America. But it nevertheless is a problem for America. And we were in asymmetrical wars for 20 years that we seem incapable of winning because of it, because our own values constrain us. Uh, in 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 this kind of warfare against an enemy that just doesn't acknowledge any of of the sort of um, humanitarian or or like even rules of warfare uh, that that we're willing to respect, and it's very very difficult to wage war like that as a, a civilized and advanced Western nation um, when you're waging a war that they're, they're, <laughs> that your enemy is not going to respect it. In fact, they're going to put their civilians intentionally and use them as a, a weapon of war they're going to use those rules against you and israel now confronts this in like the most immediate way possible but, but, one uh, of the most confusing conversations with one uh, one yeah, all of us are trying to go go ahead yeah you. i actually think that this is i actually think that this is a very important point so like a term i sometimes half jokingly use is prey morality like i think a big problem for the west is excessive empathy that's gone well beyond anything healthy into things that are insane like empathy for your enemies And I think it's important to realize that at some level, human moral rules are just made up. That doesn't mean they're not real. That doesn't mean they don't come from some kind of empathic sense inside man. Some people think they come from the various gods. But 
they don't exist in the way that rocks do. And a lot of people don't share them with us. And this is critically important. And this is something that's really bypassed in the whole conversation about Palestinian civilians. Like Hamas wants as many dead Palestinian civilians as possible. It's a strategic aim of theirs. It's called the CNN strategy. They've written academic papers about it or supporters of theirs have. So, I mean, obviously it matters to most people that they keep to their own honor code so they don't feel badly about themselves or something like this. I'm trying to be as polite as possible. But it's important to realize that, yeah, the default state of man was not actually living, everyone living in kind of Disney movie cities in the woods where no violence occurred and all the races were represented before like modern Western order or even Judea christian order that's not real like the default state of warfare was just indian raids people would break the border they would kill as many men as possible they would take as many women as rape hostages bluntly as possible and they'd wait for you to come after them then then they'd ambush you so i mean a refusal to accept that this is reality is extremely problematic whether or not case by case you should suspend your own ethics to fight primitive enemies that's that's a different question the british did a lot of complex writing on this but like one final thing about this like all this ties into the overall what i would call woke philosophy which is that the only cause of gaps in performance between people is oppression I mean, this is said like really bluntly all the time, like Ibram Kendi, the only reason for any difference between races, either genetic inferiority, which must never be believed in or racism. And that just isn't true. The average black guy is 15 years younger than the average white guy, so on. But that's the idea. And it leads into this. It leads into a hatred of successful groups with the Jews as almost the archetypal middleman minority, by the way. But the idea is that the more successful you are, the more you must have oppressed someone else. So when you see the West currently dominant over the global south, the West must have taken its resources from these poor people. We are rich because Haiti was poor. And it that's why you see Israel and a lot of other countries where it doesn't even make sense, El Salvador, South Africa, but slotted into this kind of paradigm. Like in this situation, the Israelis are the successful, slightly more white oppressor, so they must be bad. You're ignoring the reality, which is Indian raids, and you're going with your theory, which is sort of bullshit academic nonsense, but this is something people believe very profoundly. They are doing bad because we hurt them. So when they hit me, we have to hug them. And the response would be, I mean, from humans throughout history, no, kill them all, at least the adult fighting men that are fighting you. And that yeah. response is a lot more coherent. Uh, no, it just reminded me of a conversation that I had recently with a person that I consider one of my most intelligent acquaintances talking about the war in Gaza, I I surprised her by letting her know that I've been involved in many connect, uh, in connecting Iranians with Israelis because oh. of the growing uh, mutual support around what we might call Western values, liberal values, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. and a recognition that there is some compatriotism between the two people. And when I said Western values, liberal values, she winced. <laughs> and then the idea that that this this civilizational uh, progress the, uh, around liberal values is something that people in Iran seek is so absurd to her and sounds to her like me colonializing the discourse. Right. And I'm telling you know this there's nothing more what I've been obsessively calling peace privilege. There's nothing more peace privilege than <laughs> thinking that 
the brown men doesn't want liberal values. The brown men doesn't want um, the, the, the modern standards of governance, of, of representation, of, of, of all those things that we consider the product of, God forbid, European enlightenment. Right. Individual rights. <laughs> Individual rights. It's, it, it was so bizarre to me because clearly what they really want, the only thing they can want is an, a reconnection with their indigenous values, with, with their indigenous morality, whatever that might mean in, her, in, in that exotifying um, uh, thought process. But the thing that blew my mind was that a second later, when I was talking about how Hamas strategically uses their own civilian life, Palestinian life, as, um, as, as actually dispensable, as, uh, where the incentives for Hamas is to raise the death toll in Gaza, mm -hmm. she, she couldn't accept that. And her argument was, well, Occam Razor would say that people, people want to live, people want to preserve life and to preserve the life of their own societies. It's like, no, 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 that's Occam Razors based on liberal values. The values you say they don't want. The values you say they don't want. Right. One thing right. that has to be called out here is the liberal assumption that absent modern Western civilizational training, there would be morality in the sense we're talking about it. No, there wouldn't right. be. We made it up. Right. This is very what was happening important. Before. Yeah, I'm sorry? I said what was happening before. Well, I mean, what was happening? No, there would be a moral framework. It would just be nothing like what we consider "quote unquote" moral today. Yes, I mean that. That's there's a human impact. There's actually a lot of fascinating research on this. And again, I, you know, I think the Ten Commandments are a good idea. Like there are some basic human universals, probably. But I mean. There is a human empathic sense. In fact, this exists for all pack animals. There are a lot of people researching this now. Like, do dogs and apes have a sense of fairness that the big cats don't seem to? They're just pure killers. And the answer is, yeah. So, I mean, there is something from which comes our ideas about what is bad. Like, raping a tribeswoman is considered bad in almost every society. Cannibalism is generally considered bad unless you're running short of other food. But the idea that people in the state of nature, like Iroquois warriors, would have independently come up with Judeo-Christian morality is just nonsense. Like, history was worse than the present. It wasn't better. Some of the adult fighters may have been really honorable and interesting, but in general, no, like Hamas is an example of Hamas is far more civilized than Comanche Raiders would have been. This is an example of what all of history would have looked like if we didn't develop certain laws that, again, we kind of decided would work and wrote down. Those well, don't well, naturally well, exist. But, but to I, that, I actually you, can I just okay. on one small point? I actually disagree with you. I, I think Hamas is worse for two mm -hmm. reasons. One, uh, because there exists an alternative uh, and you're not talking about a thousand years mm. of, of tribal life and warfare mm -hmm. um, changing very rapidly overnight. And two, um, and this is where ideology comes in as opposed to just state of man that we're talking about, right? This is where that Islamic jihadist ideology comes in. It's totalizing, it's universalizing in a way that tribal life and tribal warfare is not. Right. So like the Comanche didn't, didn't want to wipe out every American they were just raiding the same way that they raided all the other tribes. All the other tribes hated them for the same reason, right? Mm -hmm. um, because they were also showing up in their villages, killing all the men and taking the women, right? Um, it, it, so in that sense, it is like sort of 
more quote unquote innocent in a way. Uh, it doesn't have that, that like um, ideological yeah, tack and that sort of end goal of like, yes, we from the river to the sea, we need to wipe out all of the Jews. Like Comanche didn't care like what happened sort of beyond their immediate borders. And they didn't have that totalitizing ideology. That is actually very much a, a quote unquote modern phenomenon or at least like a, a exactly post Judean phenomenon i think to have that kind of like totalizing universalizing uh you know um and anyway that 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 kind of force uh that adds to this level of of frankly savagery that like the the western world is simply not willing to look in the face and the other thing that we keep skirting around just as, as an implied fact but i think is worth saying bluntly is that you know democracy uh, and liberal values, quote unquote, as applied to Gaza, meant that Hamas got elected, right? Um, that isn't what they want. In fact, whether they agree with this particular rate or not, it's difficult to conduct polling, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the thing that a lot of people in the West, including Biden and including the remarks that George W. Bush came out and made, uh, Condoleezza Rice, like sort of all of our, our uh, uniparty sort of blob foreign policy people, um, have all come out and made is is this assumption that P Palestinians don't support what Hamas did. And I think yeah, that's, that's an un unwarranted assumption. I think they probably do support all the evidence we have says that they do support it. Now, that doesn't obliterate the distinction in war between civilian and combatant, a distinction, by the way, that is Western in its nature. It comes from the word citizen. It's Roman. Mm. Like, so the the that distinction itself is a Western idea. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm only saying that because every time I, I point this out that actually Palestinians almost certainly do support this this act by Hamas um, in, in terms of majority of people who live in Gaza probably support this. People immediately say, oh, it, so you think it's OK to kill a child? No, but you have to grapple with the fact that this is a this is a, a product of a particular civilization. It's not disconnected from the ideology or the religion or the cultural precepts or the structure of, of the people who birthed it. It's not we don't think about war in any other context this way. But for some reason, in this particular conflict, we are adverse to saying, no, like this is this is a direct outgrowth of of, um, you know, of the values that Palestinians embrace. I, yeah, now, wanna... I wanted to get to that because we got to get to the attack itself. And if you want to sure. add something to it, I'm coming to you anyway. But twice. Inez have pointed out the rules of war, and Will has been uh, addressing morality. So uh, we we talked briefly about the people who just was on the side of Hamas and celebrating that kind of thing. But there's another common thing we got, and it was <laughs> rules of war, right? They were like, it's sad what happened, but it was just a war between two combatants, and that's kind of what happened. As if you know the norm for Israelis in the in the ongoing conflict in any other time would be to go around, you know, to just paraglide into a concert and just start shooting people. They were like, yeah, that happened. But, you know, it was because of the way they would treat it. And I've had arguments with these people. So you're saying, so one of the examples I used was most people say universally Blacks were mistreated. So I say, take Jim Crow. Blacks have been treated poorly for so long, they couldn't have it anymore. So you had the Weather Underground come up and they said, no, we're going to do this. We got to get, we got to be more aggressive and we got to push the envelope. So we're going to bomb things, right? But their first, they got, they went a little far until they got to the point to shooting cops. But their initial thing was, we need to get attention. So we need to bomb stuff, but we don't want to kill innocents because we'll lose the people that agree with us. We'll lose our supporters. So we're going to call the building in advance, say we're going to blow, blow things up 
and then we blow stuff up. They never tried to blow people, blow things up with people. And even when they elevated to killing people, it was cops, it was combatants. So I would say in that same vein, even if I give you the argument and Israel's the aggressor and the oppressor and they're bad, shouldn't you be blowing up government buildings? Should you be shooting up neighborhoods? You can't, uh, you can't. So they're acting as if the attack was just normal. So, I mean, again, back to the the, the barbarism that was involved, but talk about the attack and how that's just what it's the reason why liberal Jews in America who've been quiet on this stuff are all of a sudden like Inez says she's surprised by the fact that they're talking. It's because it's different this time. Even to them, they noticed it was different. But somehow some people say, you know, it's just a couple of people having a fight. I mean, first of all, you need to take into account that, the, uh, that Hamas, but also the PLO before it, has mastered the art of talking from two sides of, uh, out of two sides of their yeah. mouths. This it's the it's the classic Arafat move, right? You they, you hear them talk, they, they talk fluent Westernism to Western media, and then they speak completely differently in Arabic. That's why institutions like memory are so valuable, where you can actually hear how Hamas thinks of itself, mm-hmm. and. That has gone way beyond cognitive dissonance. They, they just exist in two parallel worlds where they just move completely freely and unchallenged. So remember that when even just like just the other day, uh, um, I don't remember who it was, uh, but one one of Hamas officials was interviewing and um, it was not Hania, but uh, he was he was pushed back on. Well, you did harm citizens when and he just responded. Well, we were only targeting soldiers. You were targeting soldiers in a music festival? Like, it's it's absurd. But straight-faced, that's how they will talk about this. And when, you know, somebody challenges them, oh, you, you, you kidnapped civilians. That's against the law of war, which is a whole other type of bullshit, but never mind. Um, the, you 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 kidnapped civilians. It's like no no no. We were trying to kidnap soldiers. We and and they are not civilians. They are hostages. They're, sorry, they're not hostages. They are prisoners. They are prisoners to be trade for prisoners. So they are masters of of manipulating language in a way that makes sense to the radical um, humanities undergrad in in Brown. But <laughs> the it's not just media manipulation it's also how they think of themselves that's how part of how they they justify their actions they're so i've had an argument with a a colleague the other day whether or not it even constitutes cognitive dissonance when you have so fully rationalized the contradictions that you have no you don't see any tension between them so fighting the israeli oppressor is by default fighting uh uh an adversarial combatant, whether or not it's wh- whether it's a soldier or or a girl having a drink at, at an ice cream parlor. Right, right. Yeah, there. I, I had a very direct experience with this pretty early on, and and uh, count myself as lucky to have having done so. It's it's now making the rounds again, second round of virality. Um, I don't know if you guys seen the the video from 2010 in UC San Diego. Uh, between David Horowitz, David there's Horowitz? an exchange. Yes. Uh, so that our our like student groups and stuff brought David Horowitz. So I was like part of um, you know with along with some other folks like organizing that event um, and was there in the room uh, when this girl you know um, and she was actually kind of a unofficial representative of the Muslim Student Union because they were obviously boycotting our event, but um, they sent her as like the lone representative I think to record what we were saying or or whatever for a response. Um, 
and and she sort of says all the the normal back and forth things and and sounds like a normal sort of leftist campus activist mm-hmm. right um and then there's this moment where uh, david horowitz asks her you know point blank he he uh, cites the words of one of the hezbollah leaders at the time he says that he's glad that the jews have gathered in israel so he doesn't have to take the trouble of hunting them down globally so to kill every one of them right and he asks her very directly for or against it and she leans into the mic and she says, for it. And But this is not the end of the story. That's the clip, right? Mm-hmm. So, by the way, the room went cold when she, like, I've never experienced anything like that in my life, but it was people realizing exactly maybe what some people are realizing now. Like, mm-hmm. no, 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 this is not an academic debate. This person wants me dead. Right. Um, and, uh, but what was, I think, really revealing was afterwards. So she wrote an op-ed in our campus paper and then in her blog or something. And in the in the the follow up, it was every string on the woke harp, right? I felt intimidated by a white man. He had so much more power than me. I was misunderstood. Um, I'm I'm the uh, what is it? she said something literally like, if there's anyone marginalized in this conversation and this debate, it's me and people like me uh, because we're brown and Muslim and and blah blah blah. But it was like the perfect uh, two step of Here's a base lizard brain tribal hatred, right? And then, but but smart enough to like layer on top of that. Oh, like this is what will make me my make me look good and garner me support among these Westerners. And I think she was, by the way, like uh, I, I I wasn't sure. I, I think she might. There were plenty of students in in my school that were like actually exchange students, but I think she stayed in the country after or whatever. But um, I'm not sure about that. I have a big memory. Say, somebody should find her. But One, somebody should find her. <laughs> she changed her name. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I think legally changed her name to avoid this. Um, yeah. But in in any case, like that was a very concrete and I count myself as lucky, like I say, of like learning this when I was in college in this like very direct way that there is this two step dance that Adam was talking about where, uh, you know, it was just fortunate that that one was in English. Um <laughs> And then there, there's something we haven't addressed, which I think is is really interesting, is I wonder if anything, to the extent that anything will change um, mm-hmm. with with people's being, eyes being opened, I think it's probably due to social media, right? Sure. And and the way that, because the way that this attack was broadcast, you know, proudly by uh, the people doing it, mm-hmm. um, and those horrible videos that we've all, all seen, whether we wanted to or not, um, circumvent it right imagine if the only coverage of this was through the people who all put as headlines like the new york times israel bombs hospital 500 children dead that's how every one of these conflicts has gone obviously like less in terms of the the attack on israel but like that's how each one of these conflicts has gone in the past and i wonder journalism by hamas press releases yeah, and, and, I wonder and, and how much social media attack, can circumvent that. And then as you said, less so much the attack, which is true, but co- we could question without social media how they would have recorded, how they would have uh, right. written about it. Yeah, how the they would have reported it. If, None of these details, the New- probably. Yeah. Yeah, if the New York Times were able to just lie about this, it would be like USA clearly loses in Vietnam. Just like these sort of, I mean, but like what we've seen from the media over time. I mean, like the USA has lost wars or retreated from military conflicts in part because of mainstream network news and uh, newspaper coverage and the mass media the few things i've read from like skeptic research is more critical of israel and the usa so yeah like being actually able to see not like 
40 freedom hostages were taken or some Hamas nonsense, but like, you know, naked, badly injured people in the back of pickup trucks, you realize what it would be like to be a Hamas hostage and all that. That definitely changed the entire tenor of the conversation. But to the other thing you said, Inez, you were asking if if, if it would change. Unfortunately, I don't think so unless they understand that it's tied to everything that they're pushing. So if they can't draw a connection between this, the the open rabbit anti-Semitism and what's happening on college campuses from oppressor, oppre- uh, oppressed and race and gender and everything, you know, focus on differences before, unless they can connect the two, then they can just say that's bad and go right back to now. Now, let me tell you why you're different and let's focus on this other stuff. So I don't think it'll change anybody I'm, else. I'm even more it? pessimistic than that. I think that <laughs> you see people that do even, even with regards to Hamas specifically, already who who may have been a little shaken by the original videos already by the line of hamas being a little sheepish and apologetic things got a little out of hand you know right some some bad apples you know some bad apples slaughtering 1400 people right it was an accident but it was an accident no we were we were only intending for people to leave a worldview like there are a lot of people that have a lot invested in this and it's very difficult for them to realize oh our allies are actually jew hating lunatics but will but to go but to go to the beginning this is what i meant by my shock because i thought that that these images would suffice to you know change the conversation around this and so to clarify i i'm not i think the people that you're talking about, I was not surprised at all. But the, mm-hmm. to the extent that I was surprised by the the people who are especially like, you know, Jewish rich people pulling their money from UPenn and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, that oh, mm-hmm. I think wouldn't have happened without the direct mm-hmm. social media to some extent. I mean, look, a lot of them have family and, and would get it um, that way. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that if, if this had all been mediated through the BBC right. and the New York Times, then even the people who do push back against this now, I feel like would not, it would have fallen into the same lines right. instantly. Right. right. And Will, Will, what do you think about this? I think some people, then another layer of people thought it was bad. It's like, it's like watching a, a crime on TV. It's like, oh, that's messed up. They think it's bad, but they didn't have a visceral reaction. They thought it was kind of no big deal. And they couldn't put it in perspective because of the, all these other things we, we talk about what the culture is focused on. So I talked to a lot of you know, my black friends and I'm like, did you hear about what to get their thoughts right? And they were like, yeah, it was really bad, but they didn't, they didn't understand, you know, and I talk about what my friends are afraid of and what they talk about, whatever, and they didn't really get it. So the only way I can get them to understand it is I say, you remember when George Floyd died and BLM was everywhere? Every city was saying BLM, Black Lives Matter, Paris, you saw it all over the world. And they said, yes. Now, Take that exact exact same thing. It was like, what was it, a time to kill when they told the, the jury to close their eyes and say, imagine if they were white. I said, now take that same number of people, the same passion with the Black Lives Matter signs, except they're burning them and they're saying blacks must die. That's what it's like. And then they can see. So so even with the racism you say you deal with, you don't walk through the streets thinking people are saying, I wish you were dead. So imagine that and you're a smaller minority. But I don't think a lot of people really grasp so it's the reason why people think that it's bad but you know they're comparing it to the ukraine that's another thing you're like you see all this on the right you got you're a hypocrite because you were saying we shouldn't be involved in ukraine and now you're supporting israel it's all the same and i decided to just stay out of those conversations but what do you say to that i'm sure you all saw that right a lot of the you know 
whataboutism about if you're against war, you should be against all war and 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 the arguments of Israel shouldn't do this. They shouldn't do this. You didn't do this. So I just tweet, OK, what should they do? And then you get silence or I get attacked for asking. Right. You're trying to trap me. I'm like, no, you're spending <laughs> all your energy saying what they can't do. Maybe you should come up with some things they can do unless you think killing. Oh, by the way, if you want to compare it to America, 40,000 people, unless you think killing 40,000 people doesn't warrant a response, then say that. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, provided are you, that you ask mirrored. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I think we all we all had responses. To that. I mean, yeah, so like my comment about that, first of all, I don't necessarily think it's unhealthy or evil not to care about everything that goes on in the world. I mean, there are levels of attachment to that. No, so, I mean, like that. when I watch the Israeli counter. Yeah. But when I like when I watch the Israeli counterbombing of Gaza, like I don't really care. I mean, my perception is these guys started a war. It's I mean, it's always unfortunate when a child dies or something like that. But this is retaliation in a war. We fought a war in Iraq against similar Arab fighters. I mean, that, that happens. I think that the the attack on Israel did surprise me. And I, I mean, made me angry for a bunch of reasons. I don't like unprovoked violence. Um, I favor civilization over what I consider barbarism. I mean, there were attacks on women and children, this kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I did comment on that a fair amount. But I could see where someone who is a black American and who hasn't seen the videos because they're in a different corner of social media and so on simply wouldn't care very much. Like, you can't care about everyone in the world to the same extent you care about your wife or your mother or your best friend or something like that um i i mean what you're describing in terms of how to make that matter i think makes sense i've used similar techniques and it also by the way comparison to, to either the ukraine russia war or the israel palestine war does illustrate how petty some of the problems in the usa are right i mean <laughs> like black americans say they're they're the victims of a genocide that's ben crump's silly ass book like i mean there actually are places in the world where genocide is a real risk if you want to talk about black people there's a war in uh, ethiopia right now Sudan. oh my god that's, yeah that's a genocide in ethiopia but no one knows about yes and i mean so I, I think there are a couple of different reasons for that i mean first of all the that's ethiopian true. government which is quite stable doesn't exactly want to publicize it i mean there's not as much media discussion there right. but again i think it's logical you think for the brothers from the diaspora would know yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't really know how much Hotep's know about real history. <laughs> Bakhtazuma was black and all this, but I mean, it, but I think again, you mean, it makes you mean, sense for... you mean the real Jews? <laughs> yeah. well, no, the, the real Jews. She's the winner. She's the winner. I actually heard a Kentucky Cherokee guy tell me the other day that the Jews were Native American Indians, like some of them got here and started. So everybody wants. Do they still? Uh, I was gonna say everybody wants to be a Jew. Do they all still want to be a Jew? There's, mean, a, there's a great line about that in Blazing Saddles where the chief is like, Mashaga, it's the truth or whatever. But anyway, like, but all the all this banter aside, like, I, I think that teaching people to care is kind of important, certainly with young males. People don't naturally care, etc. Um, but I think the more important point that you raised is the people who say, well, I oppose what happened to Israel, but violence is never the solution, don't have a solution. What they actually would want is for Israel to drop a few bombs and then retreat so that no Palestinian civilians are killed. I mean, the children are real civilians, but there are a lot of armed fighters in Gaza that back Hamas. And then the same thing would happen in two years. So, I mean, I don't think that's a reasonable solution for Israel. And most countries, including, by the way, the USA and Ethiopia and France and Germany and Greece, have said that. Like, a green light, you guys are going to be fighting for a period of several months. So there is that distinction between, like, real national leaders, white, black, whatever, and, like, guys in the street with signs that say, like, homosexuals for Palestine. Two years. Um, of course, my bad. That's, no, I didn't the... object to like saying the term. I just forgot what was on the sign. I was, I was just saying because that's what the sign said. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the famous one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're right. Right. Um, 
No, I, I mean, I think that's the the fundamental problem to maybe uh, loop this back to some of the things we're talking about in the beginning about different civilizations. Right. Um, if you're talking about the laws of war, the Western laws of war, right, even the things that are within that Western law of war, Israel is frequently very harshly discouraged from from doing right. Like take this word proportionality, which is thrown around as though it's about bean counting and how many people can be killed on each side. And mm -hmm. as as people pointed out, you know, what do you want Israel to do? Like launch a Comanche raid into you know and 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 take a corresponding number of Gazan women. Which is also a total misunderstanding right? of what proportionality right. means. That's what I was going to get to. Like this is not what proportionality means. There are two steps to this this law of war, which again is a Western construct, right? And the first is you don't intentionally target civilians. Okay, well, Ham Hamas already, right. mm -hmm. you know, broke that fun more fundamental thing. But then when you when you are hitting a legitimate military target, there has to be a proportionality between the necessity of the target and the inherent collateral damage, which of course is going to be high in Gaza, exactly because one, the reality of fighting in a densely populated urban area, which by the way, door to door fighting that people seem to expect Israel to do as a matter of course, the U.S. military tries not to do because it kills your own soldiers oh, at huge yeah. rates, right? It is a huge sacrifice to ask a country to sacrifice their, the more of their lives of their, their own soldiers, their own boys and girls, because to avoid the fact that, that there are civilians in military targets. And then on top of that more basic thing about urban fighting, there's the intentionality of Hamas to actually gather civilians as the the whoever referred to the cnn strategy right like right. to to use it as a weapon of war um you know so on top of that 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 means there will be high civilian casualties no matter how israel responds if they respond at all there will be high civilian casualties and what's scary is even you know just less than two weeks after this massacre already you see the entire you know both national and international media willing to run with this completely bullshit story um, that wasn't even true. But let's say that Israel had targeted a hospital after trying to evacuate it because there's major infrastructure, military infrastructure under the hospital. That's the reality of Gaza, right? So it would be a legitimate military target. And Israel goes further than most other militaries in terms of, you know, doing um, whatever they call like the knock raids, the, the bomb that doesn't really explode to show that they're going to bomb the building and sending notices and calling people um, and, and trying to evacuate civilians. But um, ultimately, they're going to have to hit military targets. And actually, that is proportionality. That is very much within the, the laws of war. To you before you all make me a deadbeat dad. <laughs> No, no, you you can go. Confirming I think confirming stereotypes. <laughs> you go. You can go. We'll just keep. No, I, I will just say. I will just say one thing. I will just say one thing to the because Inez summarized uh, love war perfectly, um, which again emphasizing this is this is fiction. This is Western liberal fiction. Love war, right? Like right. there's no there's no categorical imperative around the love war, and it is misapplied or misunderstood. But the the, to the question of what to do with people who are anti-war, I just and, and, and finding the balance of which war you are. First of all, of course, you you're entitled to have your own druthers and which wars to support and which not. My position is generally, if you are completely clueless or disinterested about a part of the world, that's totally great. Have just, but don't have strong opinions about that place. The but my my small issue, my small contribution is that the idea for me of being anti-war is is 
in itself absurd. War will exist whether you're for or against it. The question is which war you or you choose to, or what you choose to fight for or which war do you, which side on which war you wish to take. But war war will exist. This is if there is one thing that is the is fundamental to human nature is that we will find ways to try to destroy each other for different reasons and you all you get to do is to choose as strategically or as, as circumstantially relevant as possible what side of wars you're on here's Adam James Levin already uh, and she is Inez Stepman Independent Women's Forum and uh, senior producer at the Dispatch and Uncertain Things Adam Inez thanks for joining us Thank you. Thank you.